Please be seated. For those who have not been with us the last uh, couple of Sundays, we're in the midst of a series where we're looking at the Christian life taught in the Scriptures, but we're following the journey of John Bunyan's uh, classic, The Pilgrim's uh, Progress. And he tells this story in the form of a dream. And so Bunyan begins with the man Christian reading a book and becoming heavily burdened by his sin. He learned about his sin through reading this book, and that is indicated by this great burden that is on his back. And then he meets another man by the name of Evangelist, and Evangelist directs him to that distant light where he may find relief from that burden, and there at the light he will find the wicket gate, and through that gate his burden will be relieved. And so Christian sets out, wouldn't you? And he's journeying and all of a sudden he falls in to this miry bog called the Slough of Despond. And this represents Christian being under even greater conviction of sin and he's left there for a while to wallow as it were in his sinfulness so he might understand just how sinful he really is, just how great his need really is for someone to come and relieve that burden. And at the proper time, another man comes by the name of help, and he lifts poor Christian out of that foul place and says, continue your journey to yonder light, and there you'll find the gate, and you'll have your burden relieved. But you know what happens? This has happened time and time again to Christians as they are journeying They meet someone who gives them worldly advice and they turn from the way that is good to the way that is forsaken. That's exactly what happened to Christian. And he was promised a quick and easy fix to have relief from that burden. All he needed to do was to go to the the town of carnal policy and there find Mr. Legality and there morality would be and And on his way, he came to the foot of this great hill that represents Mount Sinai, and it was as if the hill was going to fall on him and crush him. And Christian learned that the forsaken way of human effort can never, ever relieve that burden of sin. He learned what the Apostle Paul said in Galatians 3. Now, it is evident, it is abundantly clear that no one will be justified by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. Christian was broken. How could I have been so dumb to turn from the way that is good to the way that is forsaken? And then evangelist comes yet again and gently rebukes Christian and counsels him And restores him to that way that is good, that way of faith. And today we pick up the story in this third message with Christians standing before that gate. Now, let's think a minute about someone standing before that gate. And asking this question, I think it's a reasonable question to ask. What type of life will be demanded of me if I go through that gate? You know, there's so many people that want the benefits of the Christian life. 
without paying the cost of living the Christian life. And so we find Jesus helping us understand what type of life is required for those who would be his disciples. And so if you'll take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 7, we'll be be looking at two verses primarily today at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 14. And as you may know, the Sermon on the Mount really is in three parts, the first part being the Beatitudes. We pray the Beatitudes during our confession of sin. And there Jesus is showing us the nature of the character of his disciples. This is who you are as my disciple. You're these things. Verses, chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. And then from chapter 5, verses 13, all the way to chapter 7, verse 12, Jesus is laying out before us the type of life we should live, the principles that should characterize our life as we live according to who we are as laid out in the Beatitudes. And then we come to chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, our text today, where Jesus says, all right, let's consider. Let's really consider what type of life you are to live as my disciple. And the type of life that we are to live as Christ's disciple, that is we, we could ask it, we, we could say it this way. What is the Christian life fundamentally all about? And Jesus tells us in these two verses, chapter 7, verse 13 of Matthew, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Let us pray. God, our Father, we would ask you to do a work of grace in our lives today as we consider what the Christian life is really all about. Help us to understand the the real disastrous way of the wide gate and the easy way of life. And though the narrow gate and the hard way of life is difficult, show us the glory in it, I pray. So many of us are already on that that straight and narrow path and show us today our need for Christ as we continue on. There may be some here today that are standing before the gate, not yet in it, and asking, what is this all about? And God, I pray that you might pour out your mercy and your goodwill towards that individual. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, the first thing that we want to look at today is uh, Jesus' statement as he compares these two ways of life. The, uh, the way that is uh, through the wide gate and the way that is characterized as being very, very easy. So, the non-Christian life is fundamentally all about destruction, judgment, and eternal punishment is the destination for those who have entered through the wide gate and who are on the easy, and we would, I think, infer in the text the broad 
uh, way. This is a way that is easy. It is a way that is unrestrictive. It is a way that is not difficult uh, in the least. It is a way that requires no change in one's uh, philosophy, in one's lifestyle, in one's behavior, in one's ideologies, in one's worldview, in one's motives. You don't have to change a thing. Everything is permissible on this uh, way. Every religion is legitimate. Hey, don't you know the real good news of the wide gate and the easy way that, that every religion is equally legitimate, that all roads really do lead to heaven, whatever heaven is, don't you know? That's the doctrine of the wide gate and the easy way type of life. There are no objective standards the greatest sin that you can commit on this way is to actually have an objective sense of right and wrong. And even more sinful is to impose that on other people. How dare you? That transgresses the wide gate and the easy way of life. And this way promises much, doesn't it? Ultimately, it promises that you can find yourself and you can be happy. But there's one, well, there are many things this way cannot do, and there's one thing supremely that it cannot do. It cannot relieve you or relieve me or relieve anyone of the burden of sin. Jesus said there is a wide gate and there is an easy way in verse 13, but he also tells us the destination where that way terminates, and the terminus of that way is destruction, eternal punishment, and judgment. This way is very crowded, and that's sad, isn't it? The masses on their way to eternal punishment. But it is the way of fallen mankind. It is the way of all those who remain under Adam, as we talked about last week. It is the way where one must, where each person must pay for their own sin in the end and requires eternal death as the payment Philippians 3.19, not only is this way one of destruction, not only is this the way of fallen humanity, but the Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 19 that it's the way of those who are enemies of Christ. And like it or not, all those who are outside of Christ are enemies of Christ. You're either for me or against me, Jesus said. And here are the words of the Apostle Paul, Philippians 3.19, for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with mindset on earthly things. And here's one of the staggering realities of the many, of the masses that are on this way. They have 
no sense of the unbearable burden that is upon their backs. They have not the ability to recognize it. They feel not the weight. But one day they will feel the weight of that great burden of sin as they stand before the judgment seat of Christ and they will suffer eternal punishment because of it. Jesus said there is a wide gate and that there is an easy way. That way leads to destruction. But second, the Christian life, the Christian life, in contrast, is fundamentally all about the destiny of life, eternal life, and fellowship with God for eternity. For those appointed to be in Christ's kingdom, they must leave the wide gate, easy way of life and enter a very different type of life through the narrow gate and on a difficult way. And so we see then that the Christian life is fundamentally all about, verse 14, entering by the narrow gate and journeying on the way that is hard. It's the only way that leads to life. It's the only way that leads to relief of one's burden of sin. And so if you look at Jesus, he says in verse 13, enter by the narrow gate. And then he says, for, that is, because of, or due to the consequences of, that if you don't enter by the narrow gate, that means you are still in the wide gate, easy way of life, lifestyle, and that leads to destruction. But So he says, for, enter the narrow gate and avoid that punishment. So what I want to do now is this. I want to look at just the just the dynamics of entering that narrow gate. And the first thing we need to talk about is, what is a gate? What does it do? And I would submit to you that a gate has a dual purpose. And we find it, I believe, here in what Jesus is saying. So here Christian is standing before this gate. He's presently still in the wide gate, easy way life. And Jesus is saying that you need to leave that and enter by the narrow gate if you are seeking the destiny of eternal life. And so the gate has a dual purpose in that some enter, it is open for some to enter, but it's also closed to keep some out. So that's the dual purpose of the gate. It opens to let some enter, it closes to keep some out out. I think we see this in the parable of of the wedding feast that Jesus tells in Matthew 22. And I'm not going to go through the whole whole parable, but just the the, uh, concluding part of it, that after the, the expected guests did not come, and the word went out to invite whosoever will, this guy shows up, in, actually in the wedding hall, 
but he was not wearing a wedding garment. He was unfit and unprepared. And, and the master of the feast came and said, uh, he doesn't have a wedding garment on. He needs to he, throw him out. The wedding garments were, were provided by the master. And so this provision of the master, he did not have. And so he was cast out. Presumably, he came in through a door, but he was cast out through that same door, and it was shut. You're out. And then Jesus uh, says this in verse 14, for many are called, but few are chosen. And then there's another passage, Luke chapter 13, verse 24, and this is what Jesus says, strive to enter through the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. You see, the narrow gate opens to allow those who are able, to allow those who are appointed, that is, chosen by God according to the counsel of his own will, to enter in. But that very same gate is shut tight to keep all those whom God has passed by in his sovereign choosing of those who will inherit eternal life. In our text today, Matthew 7, 13 through 14, those who enter the wide gate in, in the easy way are many, but few will find the narrow gate. And Christian stands there before that gate, but Christian stands there as one appointed by God to enter in. I stood before that gate one time. Still in the wide gate, easy way life. I don't know why God would, would appoint me to enter in, but he did and I entered in. Have you stood before that gate? Everyone does. It's all about God's appointment of, as Jesus says, the few to enter in. It's an exclusive gate, secondly. The gate represents Christ, doesn't it? I want to read a number of scriptures to you that talks about doors and ladders and gates. All right, you ready? We know way back in Genesis 28, 12, Jacob sees this ladder coming down from heaven and the angels ascending and descending on it. And Jesus says this about that ladder in John chapter 1, verse 51, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God descending, ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Jesus is that ladder. Jesus is that way to heaven. And then we find Jesus speaking of himself like a, as, as a door whereby one gains entrance to the kingdom of God. I am the door, Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 9. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. And then Jesus speaks of himself thoroughly as a way or the way, the only way in two passages. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? I mean, do you believe this, what, what Jesus has said here 
in John chapter 11. And then in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Do you see how exclusive Christianity is? And we don't need to apologize for it. The wide way, the easy way says, hey, there are many roads to heaven. All the religions are the same. You may just call God some other name. Wrong. The narrow way, the, the narrow gate, the hard way is an exclusive way. The gate, the door, the way, the ladder is Christ. Only Christ. And there's no way to inherit eternal life. There's no way to go to the Father but through and in Christ. And Paul says this in Acts, or the, Luke says this in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12. The only name whereby man may be saved. This is what he says. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. The exclusive gate. The dual purpose gate. And now the knock of faith and repentance on that gate. Above the gate, we're told, as Christian is standing there before that gate, he, there, there's a banner above the gate. I, I would suggest to you something that's etched in stone, and, and here's what it reads. Knock, and it shall be opened to you. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 7. And so, <laughs> what did Christian do? He knocked. He knocked. He's knocking. He is knocking and he is asking, let me in. I think that's the first time I've ever pounded on the pulpit and it really hurts. <laughs> that's what happens to someone who is standing before the gate who's been appointed to get in. They know the life they're in and they don't want to have anything to do with it. And they're just knocking and knocking and knocking and knocking and knocking. And asking and asking and asking and asking and asking, wearing God out to get in. That's what we're to do. Like the persistent widow. Let me in. And what is amazing is that Christian says, let me in, let me in. I don't know why you would let me in because I'm a rebel, I'm a sinner. I mean, he just really admits just how unworthy he is, how undeserving he is to get in, but he's still knocking, let me in. I mean, this really is a beautiful picture of grace. Unmerited favor towards uh, sinners. And he's knocking and he's knocking, he's, he's admitting his sinfulness before God, his unworthiness. Let me in, though I don't deserve to get in. And Mr. Goodwill opens the gate. And Christian says, if you're willing, let me in. If you're willing, I'm desperate to get in. And I tell you, the, the, these words Bunyan wrote in his little allegory, but I think they really do reflect the heart of Christ when a sinner 
truly comes in repentance of sin and wanting to trust in Jesus. This is how Bunyan puts it. Goodwill responds, I am willing with all my heart. And with that, he opened the gate. For everyone who asks, receives, Jesus said in Matthew 7, 8. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Jesus has goodwill towards sinners. And I'll read the passage that was the assurance of pardon once again. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn, learn from me. I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Christian still had the burden of sin on his back. But yet he was beginning to experience this rest that Jesus identifies with himself as he stepped over, as he was going to be really pulled over that uh, threshold. And speaking of this, as he was stepping in the gate, he is tugged, he is pulled in. The other gave him a pull, Bunyan writes, and it was Mr. Goodwill who pulled him in. And Christian says, wait a minute, why did you pull me in the gate? And, and this is the response that Mr. Goodwill gives. A little distance from this gate, there is erected a strong castle of which Beelzebub is the captain. From thence both he and they that are with him shoot arrows at those that come up to this gate. If happily they may die before they can enter in. Charles Haddon Spurgeon wrote this as in, about this part of the Pilgrim's Progress. And this is what Spurgeon said about this very very event. When souls are just upon the verge of salvation, they are usually assailed by the most violent temptations. As Christian is there just before that gate, goodwill has opened it. He's about to step in, but finds that goodwill's hand grabs him and pulls him in at that moment the fiery arrows of temptation are being shot all over the place think of this a sinner is about to has come up to the gate and is desperately seeking to enter in feeling very unworthy and the temptation comes how can the many sins I've committed ever be forgiven I'm so unworthy surely this heinous sin that I have committed disqualifies me from entering in there is no way in the world I can be appointed to enter in one of God's 
elect. I mean, Satan is like a lion who is roaming about us. James 5.8 reminds us, prowling, ready to pounce on his victims. Even at this moment in the journey of one coming to Christ, even before one has gotten through the gate, Satan is there seeking to tempt and prevent and cause to falter that seeker coming to Christ. Ephesians 6.12 reminds us that, that we do not battle against flesh and blood, but principalities, power, that there's a spiritual battle going on. And here's the amazing thing. We like to think of the spiritual battle being all of us who are already through the gate and by the cross and on. And it's true, we're in a spiritual battle, but the spiritual battle begins before we even get in the gate. And there's this pull of grace. There is the grip of Christ that just latches onto us and pulls us in. Now, what does that communicate to you? I'll tell you what it communicates to me. It makes all the difference in the world, this grip of Christ. What it says to me is that there is nothing, not even Satan's temptation, not even the fiery darts from the one who prowls around to tempt and cause God's people trouble. There is nothing that can prevent those appointed to enter in from entering in because of this grip of Christ. And we're brought into the kingdom. And Jesus said in John 6, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Is that not good news? Every single person appointed to enter that gate will get in. Now, I want to give two implications and applications to what we've talked about thus far. And Christian gets in and they discuss this straight and narrow way that is up before them. And so I want to direct this to those of you, or those of us who are here today, who have already gotten through the gate, who've already been pulled in, who have already uh, had our burdens relieved by the cross, and who are actually on the journey of the Christian life. This is what Goodwill says to Christian, Look before thee, dost thou see this narrow way? That is the way thou must go. It was cast up by the patriarchs, the prophets, Christ, the apostles, and it is a straight and it is as straight as a rule can make it. This is the way thou must go. But said Christian, are there no turnings nor windings by which a stranger may lose his way? Yes, said Goodwill. There are many ways. But down upon these, and there are crooked and wide, but thus thou mayest distinguish the right from the wrong, the right only being straight and narrow. Straight and narrow, that is the way that we are on. And there are many little roads and wanderings off to the side that will cause much trouble uh, for us. But I want us to take heart, and this is my point for those of us today who are through the gate and walking on this straight and narrow way. 
the way was trailblazed by Christ. And I want to remind us, and I've had a purpose in reading several scriptures twice during this service, and it's for this purpose, to impress them upon us as being bodily important. Christian is there going, holy smokes, how am I ever going to be able to traverse this straight and narrow way? It's too straight and it's too narrow. But that way has been blazed by Christ. Therefore, in Hebrews chapter 12, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The Christian life is fundamentally all about this narrow gate and this straight way, but it is a way that Christ has already laid down for us, and it is a way wherein we are given all that we need to persevere and to endure and to travel upon it. What's interesting is that we knocked, we asked, we repented, we believed to get in the gate. And the way to go about journeying on this straight and narrow way is to repent and believe upon Christ. Hebrews says, look upon Jesus, keep your focus upon Jesus as you travel on this way. And there may be some here today that are like Christian who are still outside that wicked gate who are yet to get in and you're asking what, what, what is what is the life beyond that gate all about but I would submit to you that from your, your perspective what the Christian life is all about as you stand outside the gate looking at it, it simply comes down to this. Knock and ask. And knock and ask. And keep on knocking and keep on asking to get in. Jesus said that those who ask in faith, in true faith, will receive Jesus said, those who knock, those who knock in true faith, that that gate will be open for you. So no matter, no matter where, there are only two options. You either remain in the wide and easy way that leads to destruction, or you knock like crazy and ask for Jesus to save you and to bring you to himself inside the gate. Let us pray. Father, this gate is found by few, but those who find it will be pulled in. So many of us here today have already experienced the goodwill of Jesus towards sinners as we have been literally pulled in the gate. But for those who are yet inside the gate, oh God, would you impress upon their hearts the promise that Jesus 
shows goodwill to sinners. Knock and ask. And so, Father, I pray for your work of grace to be upon each one of us as you see fit. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.